Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. I'm Melanie. And I'm Cassie. We're here to help you relax and unwind. It's time for candles, bubbles, wine, and of course, a tale of true crime. So go on, soakers. Settle into the tub. Let your muscles relax and your heart race as we dive into Bath and Body Parts. David Ruckey's phone rang. It was his sister, Tammy, bearing grim news. Two of his five children, Samantha and Gianna Ruckey, had disappeared from their home. David's heart sank when he heard Tammy explain what had happened, but this case was different than a typical missing persons case. David was sure that his children were safe, and he was also absolutely certain who was responsible for their disappearance. But as the days passed, David grew less sure that his children were safe. Days turned into weeks, which turned into months, which turned into two and a half years before anybody would find out what happened to Samantha and Gianna Ruckey. Today's case is a wild one. It centers around a highly dysfunctional family, a heated custody battle, and parental alienation on a level most of us couldn't even imagine. Yeah, like I'll say even reading about this, and I've read through it a few times, I still am confused about like (laughs) so many details of this case. It is truly wild. Truly. So David Recchi married Sandra Grazzini on August 31st, 1991 in Minnesota. Sandra was one of seven children. She grew up in a wealthy family, and like many kids from a big family, she wanted to have a large family of her own. She was a dark-haired beauty, outgoing and fun, a cheerleader in high school. People were drawn to her, and watching her in interviews, she really does remind me of that Real Housewife from New Jersey that got into, like, legal trouble. I yes, don't know her name. Yes. But, like, that's who she looks like to me. She very much looks like a Real Housewife in general. Yes. <laughs> and David was one of four kids. He grew up learning the value of hard work, and his dad owned a family trucking business. David was popular and played sports and had lots of friends. They met in college in 1984 through a mutual friend. And David said right away that they'd be dating within a week, even though she had a boyfriend at the time. (laughs) So he was very confident. And he was right. (laughs) They were a match made in heaven. You know, the football player and the cheerleader. Very stereotypical. And they dated for five years, broke things off, and got back together. And after that, he asked for her family's permission to propose and asked her to marry him while they were on vacation in Florida. By the time they were married, they were living in Minneapolis. Sandra worked as a flight attendant, and David ran the family business from home. In 1996, they had their first son, Nico. And within seven years, they had five children. Uh, holy moly. <laughs> so that's, that's a lot of children in a short period of time. Yeah. Like five kids in seven years. So their oldest is Nico, and then there's Samantha, then Gianna, then Nia, and their youngest is Gino, who was born in 2003. By all accounts, they seemed like a happy, stable family. And, you know, we hear this a lot. Mm -hmm. They seemed normal. They seemed stable. And, you know, they had dated for a long time. They'd gotten to know each other, and they were sure that they were each other's match for life. It wasn't like a quick thing. Right. 
And then in 2006, David was reviewing their finances when he noticed something shocking. The trust funds for the kids were completely empty. Now, Sandra's parents, remember we said, were very well off and well to do. And they had set up a trust fund for every one of their grandkids. As far as he knew, they were pretty well set. So when he saw that the trust funds were empty, that was a big shock. Oh my gosh, yes. Which, oh, I can't even imagine the panic that happens then. So he talked to Sandra about it and she seemed completely flabbergasted by this. And so she went and talked to her sister, Anne, about it, which sparked a mysterious argument that we don't know much about, except that it resulted in Anne throwing a coffee cup at Sandra's (laughs) head. (laughs) Like, I really do. I really do need more details about this argument. And I need to know about the coffee cup. Like, are we talking styrofoam? Right. Are we talking ceramic? Does it have hot coffee in it? Is this a family (laughs) heirloom? Is it a world's best sister mug? Like, what is this? All of these scenarios uh, are laughable to me. So there's a lot of holes there that, unfortunately, we can't fill you in on. But something about a coffee cup being thrown at Sandra's head. And after that, there were a stream of lawsuits between family members for the inheritance. And this really piled up on the Ruckies. Lots of legal fees stress, worry all the time. I can't even imagine because I've had to deal with lawyers on on very simple things. And it is the most stressful thing in the world. I can't even imagine dealing with something like that. No, no. So in 2010, Sandra approached David with a proposal. She basically said, hey, honey, let's get a divorce. But it's not real. Just an on paper divorce. Hmm. And okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she told him that her brother Joe had suggested it and that it would protect their assets and the business. And I think this is a little bit of a weird idea to me, but I have actually heard of this before. I've heard of okay. it in a couple of other countries, but I've also specifically heard of it in America in relation to disability benefits. Oh, that makes sense. I think that sometimes when a disabled person marries somebody who's not on disability, it's hard for them to get that uh, the income from disability. So sometimes they benefits. have to, yeah, to get divorced to get oh. the benefits, which is really sad. That's a shitty system, yeah, for definitely. real. But I've never really heard of it in this situation, but I can understand the logic behind it. Right. Like he has the business. He's got to worry about that. And so when she comes to him with this idea, it doesn't seem shady. He's like, no, I mean, this makes sense. Right. And he agreed. At this point, he had known Sandra for 26 years and he trusted her. I mean, who wouldn't? Exactly. I mean, he had no reason not to. On April 19th, they filed for their fake divorce and were supposed to just go on with life. And David didn't read the divorce papers. He, this was Sandra's arrangement and he trusted her and signed them and thought everything was going to be fine. But then on May 12th, Sandra confronted him and said she wanted a real divorce. (gasps) David was (laughs) shocked and he just said, what, why? And she just sat at the table staring at him with big dead eyes refusing to say anything (laughs) this just reminds me of like we said she looks like a real housewife and like on their reunions when somebody calls them out they just sit there on the couch with their dead eyes (laughs) looking at each other that's what this reminds me of yes so then david decides to call the kids into the room 
which that, yeah. that's a big yikes from me. I don't love this, but he was thinking it would force her to talk to him. But even with the kids in the room, she refused to say anything, not even a word. And then at one point he remarked, what do you want me to do? Put a gun to my head? Which I hate. I hate that. I hate that. I hate Ugh. that. But it seemed like a really chaotic situation to him. This was out yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I can understand he why he was to do. upset. I don't know that that's the best course of action, but it is what it Let's is. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. And even with all of that, even with him saying that, even with the children in the room, she just sat there staring at him with those dead <laughs> eyes. God. Which I cannot imagine if no somebody said that in front of my child, no. I would lose my mind. How, how frustrated would you be if you were just like having this real conversation with someone and it's completely one-sided? Yeah, like, so I, oh I understand God. why he kind of escalated to this sure, sure. ridiculous situation. She's sure. just <laughs> staring at him with her real housewives <laughs> dead eyes. So David goes out for a drink. You know, which I think is probably a normal reaction after your wife yeah. just tells yeah. you that she wants a divorce <laughs> out of nowhere and then refuses to tell you anything about it. And when he gets back to the house, she has her friends over and they're all drinking wine. And I gather that this is a pretty normal occurrence. They're gathering at our house sure. drinking wine. So he doesn't think anything of that. But nobody says anything to David. Like they're all just staring with dead <laughs> That's eyes. I picture. I picture them all just <laughs> looking at him. Wine glasses. They just stop mid-sentence. Big eyes. Not blinking. <laughs> And then he like leaves and they start chattering yes. again. Yeah. That's <laughs> so he just removes himself from that situation and goes to lay down. And after a while, he sends his oldest son, Nico, down to tell them to shut down the party, call their husbands to come pick them up, which again is sure. apparently a normal occurrence for, for them. And so a little while later, when he hears the doorbell ring, he doesn't think anything about it. He thinks this is somebody's husband coming to get them. But then Nico comes back into the room to tell him that there are six police officers there. I mean, which feels like that's a, a lot. That's of a lot police of officers for a non-violent thing happening. Six police officers showing up at your house is scary. That is four more police officers than I have ever seen in the same place at one time. <laughs> and the police officers tell David, "You can't be here." And he's like, what are you talking about? I live here. And they tell him, you're divorced. You got divorced today. We saw the papers. Like, which he is like legit shocked. He has no idea what's going on. Even the on-paper divorce, they only filed on April 19th. And this is May 12th, which is less than 30 days out. Right. It usually takes longer than that. You know, a full 30 days is more typical. So he is like. And the police saw the papers? Like, like, why did they see the papers? Like, what on earth? And so the officers can tell he has no idea what is happening. And so they get them both together to try and figure out what's going on. And Sandra just says, oh, I'll leave. But David steps in and says, no, I will. And so he goes Mm. to stay with someone else. But something just did not sit right with him about this whole situation. Again, the police officers seeing the papers, the divorce day, it just didn't add up. Yeah. And so he actually comes back to the house in the middle of the night and goes and finds the divorce papers. And what Mm -hmm. he saw in there was a total shock. Sandra got 
everything. The cars, <gasps> the house, rental properties that they owned, uh, another cabin that they owned, the money, and full custody of the kids. Holy moly. And Whoa. again, this is just <laughs> devastating for him because he hadn't even read the papers. And why oh, would he? I know. I, mean, I feel like oh. a lot of people are critical of him in this situation. And I get that it's easy to say, like, don't sign something without reading it. Sure. But sure. straight up, before I read about this case, if my husband yeah. came and ha- asked me to sign papers, I would. I do it all the time. Especially if you had been married for 26 years or or known each other for 26 years and been married for a lot of that time. Like, oh. So David has no idea what to do. And he connects with a lawyer friend of his sister, Tammy. And that friend looks everything over and says, uh, you need to hire an attorney like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but good advice. Poor, poor sweet David. He oh. still does not get what's going on here. And he says, no, no, we can work things out. It's fine. David, <laughs> David, no, David, like no. you've been played dude. And unsurprisingly, Sandra refused to cooperate. Probably just sat there with her dead eyes. (laughs) I have no doubt. And in the meantime, David has no place to live, no money. He can't even access his work stuff because it's at the house and he doesn't live there. And he has no legal claim to the house anymore. He's living with a neighbor. And he realizes pretty quickly, Sandra, something's going on with her. And she is not working with him. And he has no choice. So he meets with a lawyer, Lisa Elliott. And right here, I just want to point out that our primary source for this episode is the book The Girls Are Gone by Allison Mann and Michael Broadcorp. And this book is very interesting because both Allison and Michael actually play roles in this case. Allison Mann was a paralegal at Lisa Elliott's law office. And Michael comes into the story later. And I think that really helps in writing an accessible book about a case if you were actually involved. And it helps as a reader to read from this experience that someone had that's so close to the situation. It's it's nice. Absolutely. It's, nice. it's a very interesting book because of that, for sure. So David meets with Lisa and he tells her that he believed that he was supposed to be having an on-paper divorce and he had no idea what he was signing. And obviously, if he had read it, he never would have agreed to it. So Lisa says the first step is to file a motion to vacate the divorce, which is basically just a reset. And, you know, court proceedings take time. So he's kind of like in limbo at this point. And then Sandra files an order of protection against him, (sighs) stating that he was harassing her and wouldn't leave her alone. Sandra... And when she filed, she said, he threatened to kill me, punch me, and come after the children. (laughs) Which, um, (laughs) not to, I want to be very clear that I take domestic violence 100% seriously. Yes, Um, we are not trying to joke about that. alert, Sandra is batshit crazy, and I don't believe a word (laughs) she says, which, for reasons that will become apparent throughout the case but um i do think that that particular statement that she gives the police is so interesting because he threatened to kill me 
Mm-hmm. And punch me? <laughs> yeah. Did he yeah. threaten to punch your dead body? Yeah. Or did you say kill me? And then you were like, ooh, I better say something else too. Like, to what's worse. worse than killing me? Oh, I know. <laughs> Punching. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Sandra. So, you know, the court also took this seriously and the order was granted. You know, David was served and he could not go to the house or see the kids. And on June 17th, 2011, it was the first hearing for the order to vacate. And Lisa Elliott basically says, you know, this guy is a stand-up father. He's the kids' hockey coach. He stays home with them when Sandra has gone for work. And nobody in their right mind would read these divorce papers and sign them She could because she gave herself everything and left David with all the debt. Like, nobody is going to sign that. And Sandra's lawyer, Catherine Graves, says that David has a history of domestic abuse against Sandra and that she is the one who funded his business. And the judge literally writes in his memo, there's something fishy going on here. And I just I love that this educated judge, this honored judge uses the word fishy for I just love that I love it so much (laughs) and so he schedules a second hearing and just a couple of weeks later they had the court case for the order for protection and now David opted not to fight this on his lawyer's advice at this point but the lawyers did ask the court to bring in a guardian ad litem the court appointed Julie Frederick. And so her role was basically going to be evaluating the family situation, talking to both sides and the children and making recommendations to the court. And we'll, so we'll dive like into a, that later. Like a liaison, like an in-between, like a go person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next hearing was held on August 11th. This was the evidentiary hearing. And just to point out, we're giving you so many dates here to show the timeline. And we know that there are a ridiculous amount of court case hearings involved here. So just be prepared for that. There are so many. There are so many. (laughs) I think when, uh, I think it's on the the 2020, they show that there are 24 case cases file boxes full of documents (laughs) and they're pretty much all court cases that's so that's so many and you know for this hearing on august 11th sandra just doesn't show up for this one she had taken the children on vacation and turned off her phone and her lawyer couldn't even reach her and she just claims that she forgot yes sandra we're all buying that story you're in the middle of all of this I get you might turn your phone on, like, do not disturb, but you're not going to have your phone off. What about emergencies? Exactly. You have this many children and you're out of, you know, where you normally live. Goodness. And if you're claiming that this dude has a history of domestic violence against you and you know that he's contesting the divorce, I don't think you're just going to forget the hearing date. Right, right. So this hearing got rescheduled for August 17th. And at this point, Judge David Netson gets personally assigned to the case, and this never happens. Judges don't get assigned specifically to these family type of court cases, but they already knew that this was a cuckoo case, and they needed just one point person overseeing it. So Lisa brings the police officers in who say that David was stunned on the night that they came to the house when Sandra was drunk, and that David was calm and volunteered to leave, And they said, you know, Sandra didn't make any abuse allegations at that point when there were six officers there. She could have easily done that. 
she could have. And of course that doesn't mean that that wasn't true. Like I, there are definitely situations where people don't disclose and we're not discrediting that at all. Just giving all the facts. So she brings David up and he explains the paper divorce. And she also asks David about child support payments, which he can't afford because at this point he has no money. He has no access to even his job because Because he was running the business out of his home, which he can no longer enter. So Lisa also brought David's mother to the stand who confirmed David's story about the on-paper divorce because he had told her about it. And she said that she had even talked to Sandra about it as well. And when Sandra got on the stand, she said, no, 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 the divorce was real. And she said that he had abused her from the beginning and that she was scared of him. And she said that David had once (laughs) pulled the leg off an organ and held it to her neck and tried to choke her. And I don't know about (laughs) y'all, but like when I think of an organ... I think of this massive musical instrument, right? Like yes, not like a probably, church organ, yes, like from the like, ghost of Mr. Chicken. It's not portable. You know, it's not easy to maneuver. And to break a leg off of that seems like you would require a lot of strength. Right. So like, David's uh, a big guy, but like, but and like, then what? He somehow pulls the leg off the organ and then does the organ just collapse how does it stand <laughs> up without a leg i have questions about this organ situation lots of questions this actually comes up in the book quite a bit and it's just so interesting to me and they, they don't have any answers <laughs> so that evidentiary hearing day was a really emotional day for everyone but even worse was later when David got an email from a friend showing his oldest son Nico's Facebook status from that day and Nico's status said my dad is abusive he has hit us all he's a bad person basically goes on this really long diatribe calling him a male slut saying that he's lying all of this stuff which was absolutely crushing for David to see oh my gosh I I can't even imagine. That's so sad. It's so it sad. It is so sad. And after the hearing, Lisa Elliott, who is just an amazing wonder of lawyers, was doing <laughs> some more digging. And she discovered that Sandra had millions of dollars hidden away, which was obviously a big jackpot for their side yeah. because it's showing kind of more motive and just more shady dealings from Sandra. And Sandra has you know, basically presented herself as having no money. Right. And of course, when Lisa discovers this, she has a legal obligation to turn that evidence over to Sandra's lawyer. And on August 29th, the day before the next hearing, Sandra's lawyer files a mutual withdrawal of counsel, Hmm. which is a term that uh, comes up a lot in this case because Sandra (laughs) goes through a lot of lawyers. But, you know, we don't really know all the details on that. It is a little coincidental that they're just approaching this hearing. They're just finding out about this evidence. And Sandra's lawyer, I don't know, maybe she's just like, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. Peace out, Sandra. (laughs) Basically. So since Sandra no longer has representation for this hearing, she has to represent herself. And the way that it works in these types of cases is she just answers questions if she sees fit. 
which sounds a little weird, but it is apparently pretty normal. I think oftentimes in the family court cases, people can't afford representation. And this is a way that is handled pretty regularly. That makes sense. Now, Again, up to this point, Sandra had presented herself as being out of money. She even said she had to borrow from her brother and beg for help from neighbors and friends. And now Lisa has the evidence to disprove that. But when she questions her, Sandra just plays dumb to the point where Lisa hands her documentation and Sandra is quote, reading it so slowly that the judge says, this is taking too long. You can just impeach her later. Sandra, like... I cannot imagine being in the court of any of these court cases and any of these hearings that Sandra is involved in because I would just get so frustrated. Yes. And I just imagine her looking at this piece of paper and her eyes aren't even moving. Her dead no, eyes. Those dead real housewife <laughs> eyes just staring at one spot on the paper oh. until the judge is finally like, nah, bro, we got to move on. <laughs> So Lisa reveals that the trust where Sandra had hidden her millions was established October 13th, 2010, and that Sandra had paid many things out of Nico's trust and even deposited her own paychecks into it. (sighs) And Sandra says she has never seen any of this information before and that her family must have signed the documents without her knowledge. Sandra! Your Sandra. own paychecks? Right. Like, <laughs> because your someone in your family <laughs> took your paychecks, <laughs> forged your signature, and signed them over into your son's wow. trust fund. Okay, yeah. Sandra. Happens every day. Lisa calls David to the stand. And at this point, there was a kind of a big rumor going around about him misappropriating funds from the Hockey Association. And Lisa kind of wanted to get ahead of it. So she... That was her main question for him. And Sandra had fueled this rumor and it had sort of spread around the hockey circle as it kind of does in these like PTA. Oh, yeah. If somebody messes with money, mm -mm. you're going down. And, you know, David denied it and said it was just Sandra's lies. And then the hearing becomes really interesting because since Sandra is representing herself, she gets to question David in the cross-examination. So she gets up and she only asks him, about the hockey thing and the trust accounts. Not about domestic abuse, not about the stalking, the harassment, or anything else. Sandra. And then she just stops her line of questioning. Oh, Sandra. Oh, Sandra. Very <laughs> suspicious, right? Because, yeah. again, this is your chance. This is your yes, chance. This is your chance. And again, like people do hold in their stories of domestic abuse. Oh, of this course. happens all the time. We hear about it over and over and over. But this is your golden ticket to ask him about it. You're in, you're in the court. You're, yes. this is a legal On process. Official legal record. And you don't even bring it up or anything even involving any of it at all. It's like the at most all. minute details that she asks him about. Not even yes. anything about their marriage in general. Nothing about like the divorce. That's crazy. <laughs> If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. On September 12th, 2011, Judge Nutson was ready to sign an order on the case. 
and he stated that he found David's testimony credible and believed that he had been manipulated. So he vacated the original divorce decree, but allowed them to stay divorced. That just meant that they would have to come up with a new agreement on finances and custody. She wasn't just going to get everything and leave him with nothing. Yeah. So coming up with a new agreement was going to come with some hiccups, the biggest one being the kids themselves, because while all of this is going on, the entire court battle, the kids refused to speak to David, respond to his messages, or basically even acknowledge his existence. That's rough. Yeah. And Julie Friedrich, the court-appointed guardian ad litem, was in contact with them through this whole time, kind of doing her investigation and, and questioning and kind of digging into the situation. And on November 1st, she submitted her first report that documented everything that she had found on the family situation. And on July 26th, they had told her that they didn't want to see David and that he was a bad person. All of the kids had said this. Nico had told her that David bullied him about quitting hockey. And Julie heard and saw some of the messages that David left and said that they were not nice. And, And this is true. And I feel like. We can't overlook the fact that that David does come across as very angry and and maybe borderline a little bit aggressive in these messages, but it's not abusive. It's not, you know, it's, he's, David is frustrated that he is completely iced out of the situation. And this is sort of the bonding activity that he's always had with Nico. And so to be fair, I do want to point out that Julie did say these messages were not nice. He probably came off a little bit rude, like maybe a lot of it rude. And I can envision like this You know, it's the parent coach thing, right? Like it's that boundary gets a little bit blurred. And then if the child says, I don't want to do this anymore, sometimes the coach part comes out first before the parent part, you know, and it's just a lot of aggression. Absolutely. And Samantha claimed that David had showed up at her friend's birthday party and chased her and her friends into a neighbor's house. She also claimed that whenever her mother was away for work, David just left them in the house with no food and forced the older kids to take care of Gino's medical care. And she told Julie, I know he has a gun and I know he's going to kill all of us. Mm. The kids all told her about finding cocaine and seeing David with other women. And yeah. And Sandra told her that David threatened to shoot them all. But, you know, I, I know we just overloaded a bunch so of stuff that makes David sound really bad. But Julie felt pretty certain that the kids' stories seemed coached. And even after all of this time, after talking to everybody, she, her official recommendation to the court was that it was in the kids' best interest to resume a relationship with their father. And she's an experienced guardian. You know, she yeah. has seen things like this before and she said it was pretty apparent that that they had been coached on this she suggested reunification therapy drug testing psych evaluations and domestic abuse evaluations to sort of cover all the bases and you know make sure that everything is is getting addressed and it wasn't just going to be okay, I've decided that you should have a relationship with your father. Okay, go. Bye. Like there's a process. There's a process that they had to go through as a family. So on November 8th, they had a review hearing and Judge Knutson awarded the family home to Sandra and a former rental property to David. 
He also ruled that they couldn't speak badly about the other parent in front of the children directly or indirectly and ordered them to attend the therapies that Julie had recommended. And I feel like that's just really solid advice for anyone who's going through a divorce or like a separation and has children. Absolutely. I think it's probably very rare that it has to be written into the court order like that. Right. But it really is just solid advice if you're dealing with a divorce or any kind of co-parenting situation. And David had to pay child support and Sandra had to pay attorney fees. After this, Sandra's second attorney, who had stepped in, withdrew, and she got her third attorney, Lisa Henry. (laughs) Julie was to continue as guardian ad litem through the therapy process and the ongoing custodial issues. And Julie wanted to visit with the kids alone individually. So she told Sandra that she would go to the kids' schools to speak with them. And on the day that she was going to do this, she got to Samantha and Gianna's middle school only to be told that they were both homesick. Hmm. Coincidence? Interesting. Hmm. On the day that you are scheduled to go do this. Yeah. And you, had, you had, Sandra knew. Like, it wasn't a secret. Yes. So, hmm. Okay. So she went to the high school to see Nico and was told that Sandra had informed the school that her attorney had advised her not to allow anyone to speak with the kids. So Julie called the attorney and the attorney said, well, that's news to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Sandra, you got to cover your bases a little better here. (laughs) And she was finally able to see Nico, who had told her, you know, they don't want to see their dad. And that it should be their choice. And I understand the frustration that Nico has here. He's the oldest child and he's in high school and he does not want to be told that you must have a relationship with your father. I understand that frustration. You know, Absolutely. I, I and I totally get it. Get and I that. think that there is validity there. Yes. Yeah. I think that this particular case is so complicated. And I think that Julie knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And she's good. She's she's good. She's doing her due diligence for sure. So she went to see Nia and Gino and Sandra had told them, you know, we can't let anyone talk to the kids at the school. <sighs> so she was finally able to see the kids and Nia would answer the questions for Gino and she would kind of kick him under the table if he would give an answer that she didn't like, which oh is a gosh. big sign that, you know, these answers have been coached. If you're, if the littlest one is going to say something and then he's getting kicked under the table. Mm -hmm. And during that interview, Sandra came to the school and walked right into the room. So after that, there was no point in continuing the interview that she had said she wanted to have with the children individually. Oh yeah. Because once the kids see her and know that they're there, they're definitely not going to tell the truth that they're being coached by her. And Julie confronted Sandra and Sandra replies, freaking out, saying, nobody's going to take my kids away. Like, (laughs) and nobody's trying to, Sandra. So Julie sent the report to the court saying that the kids were clearly given scripted responses. And at this point, nine-year-old Gino had said, you know, I know my dad had sex with other women. And I don't know if any of our listeners hang out with nine-year-olds most of them wouldn't say it like that. They would maybe say like, my dad has a girlfriend or, you know, I've seen daddy with another lady, but I know my dad had sex with other women. That's very odd. Very mature statement for a nine-year-old. 
So while all of this is going on, Sandra is just flat out refusing to attend therapy. She claims she can't afford it. You know, she has all these excuses. Um, she'll say like, sure. oh, it costs this much money. And the judge will be like, no, it doesn't do this one. <laughs> and she'll be like, oh, uh, well, I mean, I just can't. And, yeah, you know, again, yeah, excuse, yeah, yeah, excuse, yeah. excuse. And the gap between the kids and David continues to grow. Julie tells the court that this is a clear cut case of parental alienation. And she also says that at this point, the kids are basically in lockdown at home under Sanders complete control. She's not letting them out. They're not, they've dropped out of hockey. They're not allowed to go anywhere or do anything outside of school. Yeah. And Julie also said she did not believe Sandra's stories about David's threats. The judge tells Sandra that he is very close to removing her custody, but he doesn't want the alienation to get worse if the kids are forced to live with David. And I do respect that decision. Yeah, it's very tricky, but I I have been in a situation as a kid where I was forced almost into uh, having a relationship with an adult that I did not want to have. And if I would have being court ordered to go live with that person oh no oh my gosh I can't even and like I think this judge is smart in that he's telling her like if you continue this way like this is what I'm seriously considering you know like you're messing up so bad that like you could lose your kids absolutely and his message to her is like get it together this is your responsibility start making an effort with the kids to build their relationship with David back yep yep And on February 27th, 2012, the kids have their first therapeutic supervised visitation with David, and it did not go well. Mm. They refused to speak to him at all. They glared at him and even flipped him off. And the next sessions didn't go any better. They would either refuse to go in or leave after just a few minutes. Sometimes they would have panic attacks and couldn't be calmed down. That's just such a chaotic situation. And really is I my heart goes out to those kids in that situation you know like you don't know what to do they have had a number done on their brains for sure because they are they are having true fear like yeah it is planted into their heads but it is real the fear that they're having the panic attacks that their feelings toward David are real real. yeah now this cycle of hearings and parenting coaching and therapists continues Sandra constantly refusing to cooperate this time citing issues with the coaches complaining i mean she complains about julie she complains about everybody she's trying to get out of it and obstructing the process every step of the way david petitioned for custody but it was denied again yeah. i think yeah. that they were just it. not willing to to force the it. kids into the situation and yeah it wouldn't I have it, been for good sure. for anybody not at all Finally, Judge Nutson ordered Sandra to take the kids to see Dr. Paul Reitman, a specialist in family unification. And Sandra told Dr. Reitman that she had never pressured the kids or fed them any stories. And she also told him that Samantha and Gianna had both claimed that their father had sexually abused them. And she refused to let them be examined. Now, again, Dr. Reitman kind of sees through this whole thing, and he's very worried about the alienation and the kids. And he actually recommended that they be removed from Sandra's care and placed in a foster home while they work through therapy. Like, that's how bad this situation was that, like, not that there's anything wrong with foster homes and foster care. No. But, like, there are two parents who are capable of taking care of these children. Yeah. And the judge has reason 
or Dr. Reitman has reason to not want either one of them to have like full responsibility of these children. Like yeah. that's how bad the situation is. There are two capable adults. Yeah. And he's suggesting a foster home. Yeah. I mean, it is intense at this yeah. point. So an emergency hearing was held on September 5th, 2012 to remove the children from their home with Sandra. Lisa Elliott suggested that the kids live with Tammy Love, David's sister, and that she move into their home and that Sandra move out of their home to make the transition easier. So instead of all of the kids having to go to a new place, like Tammy could just move in for a while. Which makes a lot of sense. I think. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think that would be the easiest way. And Lisa Henry objected on behalf of Sandra and said that if any change in custody was made, she would be okay with David taking temporary custody. Hmm. But Sandra's accusations had pinned the court in and now they couldn't go to David because you can't just give the kids back after all of these allegations, you know. And yeah, especially so. once like specific sexual abuse allegations have oh, come yeah. out. Like they no can't. court is going to do that. So the judge ruled that Tammy could take Uh, temporary custody and move into the house so she arrived at the home on september 7th to find that the locks had been changed and she couldn't even get in sandra (sighs) sandra (laughs) why (laughs) come on girl come on you're not doing yourself any favors here and you're definitely not doing your kids any favors no So Tammy went to Nia and Gino's school to tell them what was going on and that she would meet them when they got off of the bus. So Tammy arrived with an officer to pick up the kids from the bus and they took off running in the other direction. Oh, And the other three kids didn't even come home. So everybody starts looking for them and they find Nia and Gino. They find Nico at a friend's house And they locate Samantha and Gianna, who had gone into a police station to file an abuse report against Tammy, who hasn't even been there like a day. Right. (laughs) Like they literally haven't even been in the same home with her. Yeah. And they refused to go with her. So David called Sandra's brother-in-law, Jay, to see if he could take the four youngest kids. And he agreed. And Nico, the oldest, agreed to stay with Tammy. So Tammy finally got into the house, and it was disgusting. There was urine-stained furniture, graffiti on the walls, trash everywhere. Like, I'm picturing, like, the druggy houses from, like, Breaking Bad when Aaron Paul is, like, relapsing, and it's just, like, a meth house, and everybody's just partying for three days, and just, like, nothing is good. And and I don't even know how this happens. Who's peeing on the furniture? Like, how are you like, living with your five children in this house? I don't right. get it. Like, the youngest at this point is, like, nine years old. Yeah. So that's a little old to be peeing on the furniture. Right. Like, I don't know if Sandra is having her, like, drug addict friends over and they're I was going to say maybe like, Sandra's been peeing on the furniture. <laughs> like, at this point, I would believe it. I mean, honestly, though, I wouldn't put it past her to kind to of make orchestrate it, this whole oh, thing. Oh, yes. She's like, if Tammy's coming into my house, I'm going to make it the most disgusting house ever and I'm going to pee on everything. Yes. I, I could and, see and that level that would be my instinct, except for it, it's clear that they do yeah. say that this is longstanding. Yeah. Like, they this, have been living in this situation for a long time. You couldn't do this in just one day. <laughs> yeah. No one has that much pee in their bladder. <laughs> So Tammy, you know, goes about getting the house fixed up. And this is where things start to get 
really crazy, like they weren't already, you know? Right. Crazier. <laughs> Around this time, Lisa Henry withdrew as Sandra's counselor. And like we said, <laughs> she just goes through lawyers like diapers. Like it is no, it's crazy. So Dr. James Gilbertson becomes the family's court-appointed therapist. And he was getting very concerned about the rift between the kids and their father. And Nico, during this time, was kind of in the process of reunifying with David. But the other kids were approaching two years of no contact with their dad. And uh, first of all, that's crushing that it was two years. But I do just want to reaffirm here that every single professional who comes into contact with this family sees what's going on. Every yes. single professional yes. understands that this is parental alienation. Like we're not just jumping on David's side for no reason here. No. This is clearly proven. No. And definitely like, like my heart goes out to these kids. It oh, yeah. has got to be the craziest mind fuck, like to go through this whole thing for so long and to yeah. be told by one parent, like this about the other parent and things aren't good. And then you're like, it's just easier if I don't have contact at that point. Like, right. It's kind of self-preservation. So Dr. Gilbertson wanted to take the kids in to say their piece in court and then take them to a supervised visit in the courthouse with their father. And in the meantime, Sandra connects with Dale Nathan, and Dale is a suspended attorney well-known for manipulating the courts. He actually once spent 54 days in jail for refusing to reveal the location of one of his client's children. Oh Dale. Oh, my gosh. Dale is a nutcase. And, like, of course Sandra's going to reach out to this dude. <laughs> yeah. It's a match made in heaven. Yeah, and so Dale and Sandra, you know, they're presenting this sob story to the media of this mom trying to protect her kids, and there's this abusive father and husband, and the court is siding with the abuser, and this turns into a media hullabaloo. And of course, like, you can see this. I'm envisioning these, like, press conferences on the courthouse stairs, you know? It's just very much a, a media circus. Absolutely, and David's not out there talking, like, nobody's coming yeah. out on his side like yeah. this, you know, I think a lot of people would read this and believe it. They would oh, have no course. reason not to. And it sounds believable of even course. when you say that. And you like, I feel like there have been many times that like I've watched the news. If someone is crying about their children, like I automatically believe them. <laughs> you know, For like, sure. I do. I do. And so Dale also connects Sandra with her new attorney, Michelle McDonald of Family Innocence whose goal in life was to eliminate family court altogether. And Michelle McDonald is so, Michelle. so, she's so important to this case and one of my favorite parts of this case. <laughs> I can't wait to tell you guys more about <laughs> Michelle McDonald. <laughs> Okay, soakers, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is that we have to pause today's story there. Believe me when I say that we have barely scratched the surface on this case, and we have so many more unbelievable twists and turns to cover in part two. The good news is that if you're a patron, we have decided to make two-part episodes available on the same day, so you can pop right on over and listen to the conclusion of the story. For the rest of you, we'll return next week with all the details on our new acquaintance, Michelle McDonald, and one of the wildest court case occurrences probably ever. 
Tune in next week to hear about Samantha and Gianna's disappearance, Sandra's resistance and meddling, and David's years-long search for the girls. Catch us next time on Bath and Body Parts. If you'd like to support the podcast and get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more.